Well, good morning. You look great. How many of you caught the cold and flu season so far? All right, like I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of this thing, so I'm with you. I just observed it from afar for a couple months, so it's a, somehow it's caught in my throat. So I've been living on uh, Alka-Seltzer Plus, Robitussin, NyQuil. So if I kind of doze off between the second and third points, maybe just throw a blanket over me and tiptoe out, that'll be... I'll, I'll be good. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so we'll just go as long as we can. Might be ten minutes. On the other hand... Maybe you should have brought a meatloaf sandwich. So, well, I, I don't know any more than you. So, uh, hey, we're going to look in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, one of the things we're going to study today is, is how do you know if you're tracking and doing something that God's going to be in and going to bless? And uh, maybe to kind of start this off, we'll look at a, uh, a little drama, kind of a humorous drama about traditional ways of discerning God's will. Thank you so much for coming. Like I said on the phone earlier, I'm making some pretty big decisions in my life right now, and I just want to make sure that I'm hearing God's voice. And since you're my spiritual mentor, I thought that maybe you could give me a few pointers. Oh, honey, I'm so flattered. It's so exciting to be used by the Lord in your life. (laughs) Bless you, sweet thing. Stop it. (sighs) Okay. Now, I understand there are a few principles for understanding God's will. Amen, sister. Really? Hot dog. Now, the most obvious one is the one about peace. Preach it. (laughs) Preach what? Oh, no, hun, I was speaking to me. Oh. <laughs> now, where was I? Let's see. Oh, yes. Um, the Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding. So if I have peace, I can be sure that I'm in God's will? Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but what does that look like exactly? Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> like the time that Larry and I were called to the mission field. I'm tracking. Well, the church needed some missionaries to go to Papua New Guinea to this tribe that had never heard the gospel. They were cannibals. They ate brains and eyeballs, very bad manners. Wow, and you still had the peace to go anyway. Hello, they were cannibals. I got an ulcer and, well, Larry's hair started falling out. And that's when I developed this twitch. It still acts up when I'm feeling jumpy. (laughs) Anywho, (laughs) that's how we knew that God did not want us to go. No way, hoser. (laughs) But what about all those people? Shouldn't you have told them about Christ? Oh, another couple went down. What happened to them? I think they got eaten. I guess that's what happens when you don't listen to God's voice. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So let me get this clear. I can avoid consequences like being eaten by cannibals if I discern God's will by whether or not I have peace. Yes! (laughs) And another thing. Roadblocks. 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 Beep, beep. Darn those things. (laughs) Take my Larry, for example. You think I'm the only woman he ever asked to marry? You're not? Not by a long shot. No siree. (laughs) He's proposed to more women, well, than good King Solomon. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow, and he still knew that you were the one. That's right. And you know how? You're the only one who said yes. <laughs> Hallelujah, Bonnie, and not the spirit. all those other women, they were just roadblocks. Well, they all said no for one reason or another. Some said maybe, but they wanted Larry to make some pretty radical changes in his life. I mean, come on, ladies. It's not supposed to be that difficult. <laughs> if God is in it, he just opens the door and you walk on through. Oh, praise Jesus. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> oh, like that time I wanted to go back to college. To get your medical degree. That's right. I had taken so much time off from school, and apparently my first college was not very good. <laughs> so the university would only accept one semester of transfer credits. That's ridiculous. You had gone to school for six and a half years, and they just expect you to start all over again as a freshman? Obviously, that was God's will. To start over and get your medical degree. Oh, heavens no, don't be silly. God didn't want me to get my degree. <laughs> but, Marlene, you're a doctor. You had to have gotten it at some point. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're a practicing doctor? And you don't have your medical degree? More evidence that God opens the door when he says yes and closes it when he says no. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I know. Imagine all the things I could do with my life if I didn't have to have the proper training. <sighs> Bonnie, honey, we can't even fathom the plans God has for our life. And to think I was going to waste my time learning how to be a nuclear physicist. If God wants us to have skills, he'll give them to us. This is amazing. I have so much to think about. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> and another thing, signs. Did I ever tell you about that time a bean flew out of my oh, nose? No. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> There are times in your life and mine when it'll actually work that way. You'll, uh, you'll set out on a track and you'll feel peace about it, and uh, doors will open, and barriers, barriers will move. Uh, our son Nathan is a music teacher in Minneapolis, and uh, he and his wife in August are moving to Beijing, China, where he will be a music teacher in an international school. In the last 60 to 90 days, he can give us a litany of amazing, almost miraculous circumstances that have allowed them to make this move to Beijing, China. And so there are times when that's going to work, and when it works, that's a great thing. But if I waited until I felt perfect peace, and all the barriers were gone, and the doors were all open before I did anything... There are many times when God would have never shown up. When I wouldn't have experienced supernatural provision because I would have been passive and I would have waited. So, let's have a look at the big idea. A passive approach to life in the kingdom can reduce the probability of missing the presence and the power of God. A rhetoric of mighty deeds 
without a demonstration of power leaves many wondering if our faith is all about words. So the following five things we're going to look at are ways God works that have caught me by surprise. Figuring them into my journey has helped me see God show up. So back in North Dakota where I grew up, my folks still live on a little 11-acre plot that was my grandfather's. On that plot is the first car I ever owned. It's a 1957 Chevy four-door hardtop. For 30 years, I've been planning to restore that car. Always comforting myself at the end of a year not having started that it is worth more now than it would have been a year before. (laughs) But in fact, you and I have dreams and goals in our lives that have been planted there by God in harmony with the DNA that he's created us with. And they're like a car with all that potential sitting in another state. We intend to get to it. Maybe some of us came this morning. In our minds, we have a little list of stuff we know our lives will be better with if we get to it. Or things that if we get to it, it'll make our world better. Or our friends better. Now, why don't we get to it? So let me share five little ways that I've discovered, at least in my life, and now as I look at the life of Nehemiah, of how God shows up. Number one, you have to take authority. Take authority. Authority is being present and accountable for results. It is identifying, it is identifying with the thing that you're thinking about, dreaming about, wanting to do. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah had a pretty cushy job. Even though he was in exile, he had risen to a position of prominence. He was a cupbearer to the king, which means he was a trusted advisor. One day, some people came, some of his people from Jerusalem, and uh, he asked them, he said, how are things back in Jerusalem? And they said, well, they're not good. He says, those of us who have survived the exile live in disgrace. The walls are destroyed, and the gates are burned. Now, he could have said, you know, I'm really going to pray for you guys. But the Bible tells us that what he did was to go off by himself, and he began to weep. His life wasn't bad. But he started to weep as he identified with his people who were in Jerusalem. Furthermore, as he prayed, here's one of the things he prayed. Lord, we have sinned. He didn't say, now this calamity has come upon them because they've sinned and God have mercy. He said, we. And he identified himself with this great calamity. And that identification gave him energy and motivation to begin to move in that direction. But a lot of us take ideas and dreams and goals, and then we expose them 
We even give them away to people who have no skin in the game. I don't mean that critically. I mean, I mean they don't have a vested interest in the outcome. Imagine a woman with a small baby in a stroller going into the shopping mall. She pulls, pulls up at the food counter. She orders something, she sits down, and after a while she leans over to a stranger sitting at the next table and says, would you watch my baby while I go use the restroom? And you and I think, who in the world would do that? Maybe 50 years ago in some small town, but not today, not now. And yet sometimes we take our dreams and our goals and we give other people the controlling power over whether that'll happen or not. And we hand them over to our husbands and wives and our parents and our neighbors and friends and without realizing they don't have the motivation to make sure that dream becomes real because it's not their dream. And so our dream is stolen away or chipped away piece by piece or evaporates in the midst of busy life because we never took authority over that domain in our life and said, this is a dream or a goal that's being implanted me between my partnership between me and God and I'm going to take authority over this I'm going to identify with this. Number two, action. Action anticipates partnership of God and the resources of heaven. Now once Nehemiah discovered there was a problem, the Bible tells us that uh, his countenance fell. And One day the king noticed that his countenance had fallen and he said, Nehemiah, you seem troubled. Is there something I could do? Now, the interesting thing is, Nehemiah had already figured this all out. Because when the king asked Nehemiah, is there something I can do? Nehemiah said, well, now that you mention it, my people are in disgrace. And I'd like to go back and rebuild the wall. But I need a letter of transit through the trans-Euphrates area so I'm safe. And I'd like you to give me a letter from Asaph, for Asaph, the keeper of the king's forests, because there aren't a lot of trees over in Jerusalem. The king says, well, all right. How long are you going to be gone? Nehemiah immediately put a plan in action. God shows up at the point of action. Now you may not be like me, but I have this little game I play with God. It's called, you first. <laughs> I'm thinking something might be a good idea, but as my ideas go, they tend to be a little risky. And so I say to God, now you first. And God says, you, you first. He says, yeah, you first. And God says, don't you trust me? And I said, let's not talk about that. <laughs> And I'm, I'm discovering that a lot of times God's waiting for me 
to declare myself by my action that I really want this thing. That is not just some little option, some cute little spiritual idea that I'm willing to sacrifice for it, sweat for it, because when I go first, it's amazing how he shows up so quickly and starts doing stuff I couldn't have imagined he could do. And he becomes real to me then. He's not just words. When circumstances start to change, then couldn't have possibly happened unless God were involved. And so Nehemiah began to take action. Um, Number three, alignment. Shadow loyalties are like trying to move the boat with the anchor still in the water. When, uh, when Nehemiah gathered the people together and said, let's rebuild the wall, in the next verses we read that the priests worked on the wall, the goldsmiths and perfumers, rulers and women, Levites, merchants and noblemen. He had organized everyone. But like any human enterprise, there were problems. Eventually, some of the people began to grumble because the noblemen were charging, charging usury rates to people in order to give them food. And they were even having to sell vineyards and land in order to feed their families. And Nehemiah sat him down and says, this can't be going on because we're trying to get a job done here and this is like a fifth column back here. This is like dragging us down. We got to get this in order so we can be moving together on this project. Now, alignment's a funny thing. I can, uh, I can say, I want to get my 57 Chevy fixed up. And I want a new Impala. And I'd like to trip to Spain. And I saw a bracelet I'd love to give to Marcy. And actually, none of the things I listed there are wrong. But if I'm going to pursue all of them, it's not likely I'm going to have the resources to fix up my 57 Chevy. When people come to see me after they get over the fact that I'm from North Dakota, um, we'll talk about whatever they want to talk about, and then I give them an assignment. It's never a very big assignment. It's always a doable thing. And it's not actually a trick. I say, now, when you get this done, you call me. It's amazing how much free time I have. <laughs> now, now, you know what that little thing is about? See, there's no use us spending a lot of time together unless you are willing, for the sake of the thing you want to work on, to bring the other things in your life into alignment with that thing. If everything else is going to be like an anchor, then the I can't align your finances, your time, your relationships, 
your energy. You have to do that. And it's the same for me. And so when I give a little assignment, it's an invitation to the person to align the issues of their life into harmony with the thing they're stating they want. Now the things that aren't in alignment I call shadow loyalties. Like for, for example, one of my shadow loyalties was always pleasing people. So I'd say I wanted a certain thing, but then someone would call and they want me to do this and I'd do that. Someone else would call and want me to do this, I'd do that. Someone else would call and want me to do this. Eventually I keep saying to myself, boy, what I really want is I want to get to this thing here. But actually I had a shadow loyalty. What I really wanted was not to have anybody mad at me. And I wanted that more than I wanted this. And I had to realize that that shadow loyalty was sabotaging my desire for this. You see? When Michael Jordan had been in the NBA for a while, a young rookie came in who had all the, all the qualities of a star. Michael Jordan sat him down and said, the money in this game is not in the game, it's in the endorsements. And he said to this young rookie, you may have to break off friendships back in the old neighborhood, relationships you've had for years that aren't healthy for you or your image if you really want to make money in this game. That's alignment. When another Michael, Michael Vick, decided that somehow dog fighting was never going to interfere with him being the most highly paid football player in the NFL. You sometimes think about that story and wonder, how could he not see this? But because he would not bring his life into alignment, he suffered shipwreck. Number four, authority, action, alignment. Now this, this one here is my favorite one. Allies. God's team looks a lot different than the dream team. You remember, you remember when we always won the Olympic basketball and then we got beat that always irritated me. So I thought, well, our best players are in the NBA and they don't get to play. So then we came out with that first dream team of Magic Johnson and like, we beat everybody by 40 points and I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but there it was. <laughs> However crass it is, that's, you know, stepped a little higher, looked a little prouder that day. Well, <laughs> Well, listen, you read the Bible, God's got some stellar people in there. But I tell you, whoever runs the HR department of heaven, really, if he was in a business here, he'd be sacked. I mean, you got Rahab, the prostitute, 
that helps out the spies going into Jericho. And you got Matthew, the tax collector, who was considered a traitor to his own company, uh, country. And then you got Peter, who was so afraid of people, he denied the Lord and then failed again in Galatians. And uh, the list just goes on. I mean, and God's like turning the operation over to us. I mean, look at us. <laughs> you know you. I mean, isn't there, aren't there days when you think, you know, I'm glad it's not lightning today because if it was, it hit me. Well, one of the neatest things about God is that when you begin to take authority and you start to act and you bring your life into alignment with that thing, that goal, that dream, out of the woodwork, God brings you people you could not possibly have imagined on your own. It is one of the biggest surprises of my life. I was in Portland last week, and I'm trying to figure out how do you have training events for executives in, in organizations and in the business world. And I got to go to a guy's house. He works for a company, and that's all they do. They have training events. Like, you can't even come to one of his events if your company doesn't make $250 million a year. And that's like the bottom rung. He'd just gotten off the phone with uh, the CIO of uh, one, of the, one of the major airlines in the United States. Now I'm just sitting in his living room asking him questions and he's, I left just thinking, I can't believe I got this. And I went from there two days later to another meeting. And one of the things I'm studying is what empowers and disempowers people in social structures. What about a social structure, a family, a business, a church, empowers a person or disempowers a person? And in that research, one of the things I'm studying is military pedagogy, how the military teaches. So I'm talking to this guy named Tom, and he says, well, if that's what you're interested in, he says, my whole background's in the military, and some of my best friends teach at West Point. So you let me know when you're available, and I'll make sure you get to sit down with them, and they'll talk to you about military. I, I was just giddy. Now, that kind of thing happens quite a bit in my life anymore. And so a little while back, I looked back and then now what was the turning point? And, and here's the little phrase I want you to catch. When I decided to be loyal to my dreams. When I decided to be loyal to my dreams from directions I could not have imagined. I once met with a businessman when I was first trying to learn how to do consulting work. And he said, now, he said, I want, I want you to catch this, he said. When people find that you're new at this, I'd already finished the sentence. I thought, all right, when people find I'm new at this, they won't pay any attention to me. 
He said, when people find that you're new at this, they will want to help you. If you declare your dreams before the Lord and you start being loyal to that, those dreams, there are people who have, a, have an affinity for the kind of thing you dream about and from places you can't imagine, they will want to help you accomplish your goal. And that's allies. Interestingly, in Nehemiah's life, the king was an ally. Now, the Middle East has always been an unstable place. And what king wants another kingdom to regain its stability? The king would want Judah to stay weak. And yet the king not only gave Nehemiah time off and safe passage and lumber from his forests. He gave Nehemiah something he hadn't even asked for. He says, and just in case anybody gives you trouble, I'm going to give you an armed escort. Someone he would not necessarily have expected to be his ally became one of his greatest allies. Finally, and this is one I had to learn, animosity. When you start living out your dream, somebody's not going to like it. Now imagine, let's all imagine together where we are at the moment. I don't mean physically, but I mean personally. And you imagine where you might like to be. There are people who have a vested interest in you staying exactly where you are. Because if you shift... It may uncover shadow loyalties in their life or wrong goals in their life or disrupt a comfort in their life. And and I, I was always afraid of this one. I've come to see that greatness, one of the qualities of greatness is the ability to live in conflict without losing focus. The ability to live in conflict without losing focus. I don't mean conflict where, where there's something unrighteous going on. I mean where you're pursuing a God-given goal. He's bringing people around you. You're moving forward. And, and there's somebody who doesn't like it. See, animosity, resistance can come from a wrong direction you're taking or poor processes or the opposition of those who know that redemptive change will alter their power landscape or expose the quality of their goals. Now sometimes opposition will come to you from sources you never believed it would come. I was visiting with a farmer in in the Red River Valley in North Dakota, very successful farming area. But this farmer developed a love for missions and particularly for Haiti. And he decided he would like to just quit farming and either lease or sell his farm and go to Haiti with his family. He said, you know the people that had the most trouble with that 
were my relatives and the church. So they were the very people I thought would be on board, and yet they tried to ooze me back out of it. Meanwhile, neighbors I had who were not Christ followers thought giving the rest of my life and finishing well was about a noble adventure as you could have. Nehemiah had Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, and they mocked, they ridiculed, they tried to sabotage, they used treachery, they lied, tried to create a wall of lies against Nehemiah. And Nehemiah just kept working on the wall. Now catch this as we finish up today. It's out of Nehemiah chapter 6. I think we're going to get there. My eyes are watering now as I listen to me. can only imagine what it's like for you. I won't be able to say much when I get home, but there are upsides to that for some of us. <laughs> oh, that was too funny. <laughs> Catch this. So the wall was completed in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid. And they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. When you start taking authority and action and alignment, God starts bringing you allies, and even in the midst of animosity, you, you experience success, you begin to see how God has allied himself with you, and he's helping you step by step. Now, the thing about the 52 days that tickles me is, for some of us here, our dreams are much closer than we think they are. They've sat so far on the back shelf, we're not even sure we dare think about them. But if we brought them out to the front, and we declared them before the Lord, and we began to take authority and responsibility for the outcome, and took action, and God began to bring people towards us, Some of the dreams that otherwise will never happen are actually not that far away. Some of your dreams are not that far away. Well, let's just set our stuff aside as we finish today. We do that. Thanks for being so patient with my voice this morning. And... and, uh, we bow our heads and could I just ask you have you been carrying a goal or a dream in your life and it sits somewhere separate from you like my 57 Chevy sits in North Dakota maybe you haven't even told yourself the truth that you're not being loyal to it You've let other things crowd in. Or you've had trouble believing it could actually happen. 
And might some of us today want to say, Lord, when Nehemiah heard the news, though the task was great, you helped him. And because of it, his dream was realized so much faster than he could have ever imagined. And I want to take that dream back out and dust it off and set it before you. Say, Lord, I'm going to start being loyal to this dream. And I'm going to ask you, like you helped Nehemiah, that you will help me. I'm not even sure how to do all of this. But I don't want to finish up just looking wistfully over at that thing. So Lord, come into my life today. I declare this dream. Show me how to take authority and how to act and how to be loyal to it. You can pray that right where you're sitting this morning. You can ask for God's partnership in your life as Nehemiah experienced it in his. And could I ask you with our heads bowed, if you're praying that and you're asking for God's partnership and maybe dusting off a dream, if you're doing that, would you just raise your hand and just say, look, that's something I'm doing. Yeah, up here in the front and in the back along the back here, in the back, up on the left, right here, over here on the right, yes, up here near the front and the right, in the center. Father, we know that sometimes nothing has to steal our dream because we just pack it away. You don't get any honor for that because it never shows your power. For these who've slipped their hands up this morning, I'd invite you not to disappoint them. You're the one that gave us the book of Nehemiah to remind us of how quickly our goals and dreams can become reality if we embrace them and act see your partnership and the demonstration of your power. So do that for them today, Lord. Rush grace to them. They will experience all the resources they need to see the dreams that you've implanted in their heart become real. In Jesus' name, amen.